Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Today, capital gains tax. By offering a lower tax on money made from capital gains, does that mean people invest more in growth for the economy? Or does it, in fact, make no difference whatsoever? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. So, Steve, there is a theory in many conventional government and economic circles that if we lower capital gains tax, then we are going to increase investment. By taxing capital gains at less than income tax, it encourages risk-taking and entrepreneurship, which spurs economic growth. But there's another argument that it simply creates loopholes for tax avoidance schemes for the wealthy. I suspect I know which side you're going to jump on this one, but... uh, just uh, to tell us. Just put us oh, out I of our hate, misery. I, I hate to disappoint you, mate, but you're right. You do know which side I'm going to jump on. It's bloody tax evasion. <laughs> so, I mean, can you, okay, but this argument, why is this argument so wrong then? Look, if, uh, look, if, you, if you lower capital gains, that means I am going to be more prepared to use my money to invest in things that are going to create money for the economy. Well, but what it's actually ended up being is investing things that credit money for the economy in the finance sector. Mm. And this is the mistake because all we do is increase the price of a house. Now, if the price of a house doubles, that doesn't mean the workers and children inside are twice as productive. It's something you just inflated the bloody value of the capital. Right. But and you're talking about houses. Let's, let's, let's put housing to one side. What about I'm investing it in, uh, in equities that are, um, you know, the newly issued uh, capital for companies, for example? And we'd, and, and it, 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 my, my, I, have, I have a wonderful family and, and one of my brothers-in-law <clears throat> I'd happily have had as a brother, um, very, very genuine, sincere guy. And he and his wife were, my sister obviously, were deciding to set up their own what they call self-managed superannuation fund in Australia, which is a, a pension fund that you decide what you invest in yourself rather than having it done by a third party. And uh, he was very, very earnestly saying that he, she, they decided to buy cochlear shares because Cockley, which is an Australian company, had invented a, a means of wiring a, a hearing device into the cranium um, so that you could actually give somebody who had no hearing at all, give them hearing, actually a complete replacement for the ear, for the ear system. And he was so inspired by this. He said, well, we want to we buy Cochlear shares and, and, and support that work. And I didn't have the heart to tell him mm. that when he bought that Cochlear, going, yeah, it's not, not a single ruddy cent went yeah. to Cochlear. The shares were sold to him by another speculator. Yeah, okay. Is- but com- companies starting out need money. They need capital. So when you look at uh, you know initial public offerings, for example, mm-hmm. uh, they are riskier. Uh, because you don't know which way that company's going to go. And couldn't people say, well, okay, that's a risk I'm prepared to take if I know that I'm not going to get hit with huge capital gains tax on the return if it does well, because that, I'm taking that, a risk on it. That that is That itself is a better way to go. You have to say what, what sort of um, – when you say capital gains tax, what sort of gains are you talking about? And if it's a case of uh, – 
giving money to a company, which then uses that money to invest and then generates a new product, which takes over an industry or develops a new one and makes profit out of that. That's the sort of capital gain you want. When you, when you give it to people who buy and sell shares of each other, or sell houses as well, which, you know, that's where the capital gains exemptions are generally seeking end up. Mm. It just inflates the price of the bloody asset and does nothing at all for the productivity of the economy. So I'm, I'm a, a critic. I mean, it's, it's been incredibly damaging in Australia in particular. You and I have seen a fair bit of that prices. when we were there. Yeah. Oh, house prices and share prices. And equally in America, the same story. When you put a lower ga- tax on on share market speculation, well, whoopee do you encourage more share market speculation? Well, in Australia, of course, I don't know if it's still the case now, uh, but it was a couple of years ago, and it had been uh, you know, forever until that point. Uh, the capital gains return, uh, capital gains tax on returns on a on a house was half the amount of ordinary capital gains. So uh, there was a every incentive if you were going to invest your money to put it into housing rather than into companies because you were going to get uh, less capital gains tax at the end of it all, which yeah, is. Yeah, insane, insanely bad idea, uh, but of course very popular with people when you first do it because people are trying to get an increase in their equity, and bang, here's here's a way of doing it and getting a, a tax gain out of it. So it's far better for you to fall asleep in a, in a house and watch the price rise than just to go and work. So and, mm, yeah, what if so? What if you just got rid of capital gains tax then? Uh, we'll look at the, we'll we'll go back and address that issue about you know maybe it should be applied where it's actually creating growth. But if you if you just got rid of capital gains tax and said well okay if you're making money doesn't matter where it's come from whether it's uh, money from you going and doing your day job or it's it, it's a it's a gain you've made uh, why not just treat it as ordinary taxable income? Perhaps you could spread it if it, it is a payout you could spread it out over a couple of years or a few years if that seems fairer. Um, Th- th- that makes a lot of sense. It's just called income tax, isn't it? Doesn't make any difference what the income is. Would that be yeah. would that be a fairer system? And how would that change behaviour? Do you think that'd that'd be better for us than what we've, we've let ourselves get caught up in, without a doubt? Right. Because it's, it, this has all become a rort for the wealthy to uh, to avoid taxation liabilities. And then what's happened, of course, and again, because I don't believe that uh, the taxation funds government expenditure, but what it has meant is that the amount of money being uh, pumped into the economy by the government uh, is then when it, when they siphon the money back out again to stop the money supply growing too rapidly and causing monetary inflation in the economy, it's being siphoned off the working class and the middle class and not off the wealthy. And so a large part of the accumulation of the wealthy is because they've evaded the removal of the tax revenue from them that should have been taken out of them. And by halving the rate of capital gains tax and all the other tricks that people have done, it's making them even better off and increasing the inequality in the system as a whole, which, of course, is what's leading to yellow jests around the world. Mm, absolutely. Although, that on the other side, there are people who argue that capital gains tax should be done away with in total, that, you know, that in effect is a double tax because... Basically, capital gains is a tax. Take a company that's doing particularly well. It's paying tax on its profits. As a result of it doing well, somebody sells their shares that are now worth more. That's a capital gain. They're worth more because the company has been doing well. The company has already paid tax on doing well, and now you're paying capital gains tax on the on on the returns because the company's doing doing well. They say that that's a double tax hit on growth. 
Yeah, well, then that's, and of course, you were talking about Australia earlier and, and how much it went for uh, giving, you know, halving the rate of capital gains tax and so on. It's also fallen for that argument as well, what is a dividend imputation scheme. Mm. So you, you can, if a company pays tax on its profits and then pays dividends out of the post tax profits in Australia, uh, the person paying getting those dividends gets gets an imputed tax benefit which they can use against the other tax claims so it it's you know, this whole fairness thing uh, comes out in their favor the trouble is it ain't fair because to own shares in the first place you've got to be wealthy yeah. um, the, all the stuff about being in a in a um, in a, uh, a you know a, a, a capitalist democracy on this front uh, and you know and, and workers own shares through their pension funds garbage by far the vast majority of, of, of share ownership even through things like superannuation schemes and pension schemes is by the wealthy not by the poor so this is in, in a sense you're being fair to the fair to the rich but you're not being fair to the poor and so in in that sense I'd, I'd rather say look just wear it if you're wealthy enough to own shares you're going to you're being, you might be hit by a double tax on that system well, but at the same time it, Companies have been moving their income statements offshore, so they make their money in the Cayman Islands. Yeah, which gets back so, to you know the argument about whether you actually should get rid of corporate tax altogether and just tax all income, so the individual pays. You know, the company. Or, but, no, that, that'd be worse. <laughs> well, I mean, that, well, it would mean that um, not, not if the tax system is applied. It would mean it would be a very progressive tax system. Uh, uh, you'd, you'd basically have very high rates at the top end, which of course no one would be very happy about because it would be well over fifty percent. We'd be like seventy or eighty percent tax and people get upset about that sort of thing. And you can't, that's why you can't do it. And this mm. is why, there was even was name Sugar, that, that the, uh, the, uh, the charming, um, polite, uh, upper-class twit in, in England at the moment who's uh, attacking people for being jealous of his, uh, his income. Well, take anyone um, in the Conservative Party, but you might be talking about Jacob Rees-Mogg, are you? There, there you go, that'll do. <laughs> um, now, that, that's, that attitude... Uh, is is where tax evasion comes from, and then with the ultimate end of tax evasion is people you can only afford you can only evade tax if you can afford to pay the accountants for it. Therefore, the wealthy benefit. So to, to my and like it got to be absurd at various times as well. I mean, back in the days when you did have progressive taxation in the UK, the Beatles were paying ninety nine percent on their last few dollars, and that, that's why wealthy uh, performers started moving to places like the uh, uh, Macau and so on, and uh, what's it called um, uh, Monaco. Pardon me. Yeah. Um, so I, I would, I, I think that's ineffective as well. You have to, to get around this hassle. You've got to be putting the taxes in a way in which they are seen as socially, socially neutral, and nobody can really complain about them. And I'm ultimately in favour of. I don't know how to design it, but I would be more in favour of transaction taxes because transactions taxes be paid by the corporations involved in the transactions, not by the individuals. I think I think I can understand where income tax initially came from because it was actually initiated largely to. Uh, in response to the war years, now in, in, in the war itself, um, you've got enormous amounts of government expenditure, um, which are financed by issuing uh, issuing bonds, which can all be purchased by the central bank, but are purchased by the, the population in the first instance. Um, but that 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 pressure means you generate a huge amount of money in the economy and you tax to take the money out of circulation. Uh, income tax is one easy way to go about doing that. It was simple. Um, but now I think the social and the um, institutional impact of that so in, income tax has led to the awful world we're in these days. And I would rather go, let's just try to work out how to do the same thing by doing it on a per-transaction basis, which corporations can't pretend they're making the transactions in the Cayman Islands when they're selling to something to you in, in Waterloo. 
um, and we can actually stop all this evasion uh, as well, which is putting an extra burden on the working and middle classes who end up being the ones who revolt against the state. Well, look, there's a million and one arguments uh, more uh, in favour of uh, cutting down on uh, uh, capital gains tax or get rid of it altogether. So I don't know if you're familiar with Christoph Chamley. Uh, his argument, uh, this was back in the 80s, was mm-hmm. that um, income from capital shouldn't be taxed at all. Uh, and his argument is that people, I presume he's got no children, um, which would explain why he's thinking this way, that mm. people have finite lives. So that means, in his words, the optimal tax rate on capital income does tend to zero in the long run because we all have finite lives, which, in other words, I presume he says we have no interest in any accrued benefits at the end because we're we're all going to be dead. Uh which, uh, oh, isn't that a wonderful thing, <laughs> a classical logic, yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't have children, you don't intend to pass it on. Uh, uh, the, the, the other extreme, what they'll do is... But well, by the same argument, though, just on that, presumably we can tax yeah. him an enormous amount of money because there's going to be uh, no long no longer benefit in, in, in accruing uh, money. So let's yeah, just I take mean, it all from him while he's still alive. I mean, the, the level of sophistry involved in this whole debate is just beyond beyond the pale, even, even for economics, the level of sophistry around taxation. Uh, is 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 just remarkable. So, like my favourite there is bloody Robert Barrow, who gave us the idea of what he called Ricardian equivalence. And this was when he, he tried to argue that uh, government government stimulus to the economy uh, had no impact on the economy because the government spending would be offset by people saving money to pay the future taxes they knew would be which would be necessary when government expenditure was greater than government uh, income. And people pointed out to him that well. Uh, what about people who people are going to die? This is the opposite of the case. The other twerp you've just mentioned to me mm. uh, dreamt up. Um, but that the argument there was that, uh, you know, because people are going to die, uh, then there's no point to put aside the money because they're, uh, if they expect the taxes to be levied in 40 or 50 years' time, why bother? And he wrote, his reply was, this argument fails if people are part of a... Uh, um, a uh, if people regard themselves as part of a dynasty which goes on forever and leave bequests to their descendants to pay the future taxes they expect to see. So that's presuming complete and absolute altruism, the exact opposite of what the other guy's talking about. Mm. And that Ricardian equivalence, crap, crap, well, became part of the DSGE models that I'm, you know. So they are now presuming people, that you decide to go, and I'm literally seeing this written in academic papers, so I'm not making this up saying when people go shopping, they're calculating the interest rate and the taxation rate to work out what they're going to buy that day, uh, where they're capitalising the utility gain they're going to get out of their shopping over the infinite future for this the dynasty they're part of. Give me a break. That's why it takes so long to go shopping. It's quite a difficult calculation to work out and why there's always queues at the checkout because some people aren't capable of doing that sort of calculation that quickly, are they? Like I've got this... I, I, you know, some of the models they run, even on supercomputers, are taking five to, five to ten days to solve. And yeah. they think we're all doing that. We're going shopping at Word Kmart and, um, and, and, and Sotheby's. Forget it. Does explain the cues. Look, I've got this theory. It's a much simpler one. That It's just a race, isn't it? That you uh, want to take as much money as you can 
because you need to make sure you're going to have enough money to live out a, a long and fruitful life, and you don't want to get old without any money. So, absolutely, you know, you're totally uncertain when you're going to die. Totally uncertain. You know, you 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 just your individual case. You you want to have as much cash as possible. You're going to die with a positive sum left over. Yeah. This is the opposite again of this. Some of this nonsense neoclassicals have come out with. So, Milton Friedman, one of my absolute favourites of all time. My my absolute. He's my first candidate for a Nobel Prize in economics. First against the wall. Uh, Huh? First against the wall. Although he's dead, I think. Oh, he, well, the, I'd, I'd get, I'd dig him up and shoot him a few more times. <laughs> uh, but but, uh, but he he came out there with what he called the permanent income hypothesis, and this is the argument that people uh, borrow during their their youth because they, they're consuming more than they are earning, and then save in their old age because they're consuming less. And when you get to the date at which they die, boom, their total assets are zero. Well, tell that to Kerry Packer's children. Or tell it to uh, you know Bill Gates's kids. I mean, no, they die with you know an absolute fortune that is then dispersed amongst their heirs, mm. and a large part of their status is how much do you leave for your kids. So the whole idea that you end up with zero at the end is just sheer bloody nonsense. Yeah, actually, on that though, I think Bill Gates isn't giving a lot to his kids, is he? I think it's a point of contention that he's giving it all to charity more than he's giving it to the kids because I think but he see, wants that, he wants his kids to actually that, find but, their own way. That, but that again is partially the. I mean, this is where he's buying his future um, reputation. In, because again, this is what Nobel did. Mm. Okay, okay. The, the story about Nobel. Why did Nobel leave a huge amount of money for future science research? The reason was that his brother uh, was, I believe, in Russia, uh, which is a far distant place from Europe at the time, um, in the eighteen hundreds, and he died. And the, the newspapers, you know, the old Chinese whispers applies when you're sending messages by telegraph, thought it was Alfred Nobel who had died. So they published Alfred Nobel's obituary and put him across as the person who'd caused more death and carnage than anybody in the history of the universe by inventing dynamite. So Alfred Nobel got to see what his future reputation <laughs> would be and thought, holy shit, I don't want this. How can I get around it? Very sensibly, he decided to institute the Nobel Prize in three, in four things, was it uh, literature, chemistry, physics, uh, five, medicine, and peace. Mm. And then ra rather than talking about Nobel as this bastard who invented dynamite, <laughs> we're talking about this person, this Nobel Prize. This, it was very clever, okay? Now, Bill Gates is doing the same thing while he's alive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, he, he, he could also just be doing it because he thinks it's right as well, well of look, course. That's, that's but, possible too. Right? <laughs> and, 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 You're and, such like, a cynic sometimes. But look, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I can allow that. Okay, I'm quite happy to say that's true as well. And I think that's, uh, you know, there's no... <laughs> I'm not saying all capitalists are rapacious, yada, yada, yada. Getting back, of, getting back to where we started on capital gains. Oh, no, no let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, at least let's sort of turn round it off. Look, you've you've talked about basically well, where we started. My first question, are capital gains tax really just a – is it just a tax deduction for the wealthy? Look, the, the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Centre in the United States estimates that uh, in 2018, more than 70% of the tax benefit of uh, the lower rates from capital gains gains in the US go to taxpayers with incomes over $1 million, 70%. That is huge, mate. That isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. More than a million a year. Yeah. So uh, I guess the question is, if they're dissuaded from making investments because of the tax they pay on capital gains, what else would they do with their money? 
I mean, if they're not, you know, what do they? Because they're not going to put it in a cash savings account, are they? They're still going to they're still going to invest with it, presumably. Well, they they, they put it aside. It's something you put aside for your bequest to your kids. Uh, you spend like crazy. You live a very comfortable lifestyle, yeah. and 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 you speculate. You gamble with it. Um, and and I mean, but, but you're speculating, even though you're not going to get that cap. You know, if you're not going to get that capital gains um, deduction, yeah, I mean, it, it's, just, it's not going to change behaviour a great deal, is it? In other no, words, no, it's not. And and, and the, the you know the, the lifestyles of the rich and fatuous, as they say, uh, when people have ideas of what they're like, they're, they're the, the people's estimates of what the lifestyles of the extremely wealthy are like totally underestimate how well they actually do live. So it is. If these were people, the the, the the Edisons of the world, then I wouldn't be too worried about it. But they're not being Edison-like. They're being, uh, the, but the old Rontier class, the David Ricardo, though he himself was a Rontier, uh, was trying to get rid of. He was arguing in favour of the industrial capitalists and saying the secret to getting uh, success in capitalism is to get as much money out of the hands of the Rontiers and into the hand of the industrialists as you possibly can do. And that is one part where I completely agree with Ricardo. I'd rather say anything we do that's getting money, uh, that, that, that if you only drink money to any social class, um, you, you, you do it first of all to ensure that there's a decent standard of living for everybody in the, in the society so you don't have anything like the yellow vest syndrome becoming feasible. But secondly, if you direct money to any of the other groups in society, you're directed to those who are going to be entrepreneurial and, 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 and innovate. And that is not what we've done with capital gains tax, given to those who want to speculate and gamble. Okay, well, let's look at that very quickly then. So how do we do that? How can we actually say, well, look, you can get, you know, we're going to abolish capital gains tax. You're just going to get taxed on uh, on any income, whether it comes from capital or otherwise, whether it comes from uh, payouts from your shares. If you've made money, you're going to pay the same income tax you'd, you'd normally pay. If you wanted to say, but capital gains tax applies for where there is real growth, how do we do that? We, do we say, well, okay, you're putting money into a new business, for example. Is that just about the only exception? Well, again, it comes back to looking at how money is created. Do you, do you actually need the tax to finance government spending or not? Are you using the tax to take money out of circulation? Yeah. You're doing the latter. You're taking it out of circulation. So the question is, how do you take it out of circulation in ways in which that makes the sure that as much of it possible ends up in the hands of those who are innovating rather than those who aren't innovating? Yeah, so how do you do and that? Then, then what you would have is something which is based around uh, – venture capital, startups, yeah. that sort of thing, then you'd give tax deductions for giving money to those groups. So I would, I would, for example, have um, people being encouraged to um, put money into crowd. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not just a fan of crowdfunding because it's giving me my income on Patreon that enabled me to leave the university sector and all that sort of jazz. I've been supporting crowdfunding since I first developed Minsky uh, because when I developed Minsky, um, I got a, a funding from the Institute for New Economic Thinking, uh, my one and only grant from them, which started started Minsky off, which I'm very grateful for. But they gave me half as much money as I needed. So to finish the job, I heard, heard that uh, crowdfunding had started with things like Kickstarter. So I started a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for Minsky, which doubled the amount of money I got from INET fundamentally. Mm. Yes. And I've, been, I've, been, I've supported about 20 or 30. I've got a few items in my, my room now which are successful. Um, uh, like a little, absolutely hand, literally handheld computer, uh, was one of the devices I supported that that came to fruition. A range of others as well, and so I support them. And what's going on is they're innovating, but they're innovating with, uh, with there's no benefit for me 
in terms of me, my tax revenue for me putting money in there. I would like to have a system which said uh, giving money to to innovate, whether they succeed or not. Is tax deductible. Is tax deductible. Even even if it's just partially tax deductible. So we could get rid of capital gains entirely, just have income tax, and then, uh, then as you say, introduce a series of uh, tax deductions where we're seeing- And and also transactions tax. I think transactions tax are the way to get the money out of circulation more effectively without raising the social hackles of income tax. Yeah. So so the argument that capital gains tax helps growth is obviously a spurious one, or, well, it's not spurious, it's just wrong. And in fact- Reductions. Reductions in capital gains tax, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, they're, they're, yeah, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, capital, the, it, the the mere existence of capital gains tax means that you're getting taxed lower than your income tax. Uh, that's why it's there in the first place. So the reason it's there at a, a lower rate is to, the normal income tax is to try and encourage investment for growth. And we're saying, well, that's not the case. I wonder, in fact, whether it, it in fact, is doing quite the reverse because it does mean Richer people are paying less tax. If they were forced to pay more tax, then that that money presumably would uh, w- would find its way into the non finance sector. It would find itself in government programs assisting welfare and and poorer people, and yeah, so I that mean, would that would help growth. Again, with the caveat that you don't need to tax for the finance that stuff is the money. Yeah, no, creation. exactly, but, of course. But, yeah. but nonetheless, you're quite right. That's uh, what what the, what what the, all the. Uh, the, 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 in that sense, the, the fiscal crisis of the state, as it's called by a few researchers, uh, has been a major reason why we've cut back on state-level, state-led innovation, uh, where state-led innovation was, you know, if you think back to the, to the, the Second World War and think back to the, the, the space race, uh, a huge amount of innovation came out of those projects. And there was no, uh, no sense of challenge to that at the time. You simply couldn't do it these days because the mindset has changed, courtesy of the impact of things like capital gains tax and and so on. So uh, we've demonised that if you actually got more of the revenue coming back than you're letting be captured by those who are given capital gains uh, advantages by the tax rate being lower than income, then you wouldn't have the same fiscal pressure on the state. And ideologically, we wouldn't have ended up where we are. So in summary, capital gains tax, if we abolished it and reverted to ordinary income tax, or transaction tax, whichever way we go. But if we just get rid of capital gains tax, no impact on the economy, uh, unless it's well, a po- it can- posit- potentially a positive impact on the economy, but it's certainly not going to inhibit growth. And capital gains tax is a tax dodge, full stop. Well, let, let's be clear. You, the terminology is a bit loose there, mate. It's not capital gains tax. It's capital gains tax rates being lower than yeah. income tax. Well, that's, and that, yeah, dodge. exactly. And that's the whole idea of capital gains. Is yeah. That's why it's, yeah, yeah. it's separated out from, from income tax. So mm-hmm. because it's normally lower than the top level of income tax that people who are getting this capital gains tax would, yeah. be, would yeah. be paying. So, uh, yeah, get rid of it. No one's going to be sad apart from those people who are benefiting from it as a tax dodge, basically, is what we're saying. Indeed, yeah. All right, we'll leave it there, and we'll catch you again okay. next week. Thank you, Steve. Okay, mate. Thank you. Bye. Well, that one's easily sorted out, isn't it? We should just abolish it tomorrow. Um, if only it was that easy. It does seem to live on, doesn't it? All around the world for some peculiar reason. That's it. This time for the Debunking Economics podcast, I'm Phil Dobby. Join me with Professor Steve Keane for another edition very soon. Thanks for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.